All right, welcome to this edition of the Positive Populist Podcast. Very hard to say, but I always try and manage to get that out without the P's kind of driving everyone crazy. Um, my guest today, Lisa Booth. How cool is that? Hey, Steve. So good to see you. I was saying, too, because normally when I'm on your show, I'm so used to preparing. And for this, you can't really prepare because you're prepare. asking me about me. Your entire life has been the preparation. So that, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's what's good about this. But so the there first, are no notes for this. No <laughs> notes at all. But the very first question I ask all my guests is, Lisa Booth, are you a positive populist? Yeah, I think I'm a positive populist in the sense like I, I think what a lot of the things that President Trump said during the 2016 election sort of struck me um, in the sense of I, I think there's a lot of people in the country that feel left behind by politicians. Mm-hmm. And I think President Trump was really able to kind of tap into that uh, and speak to them. And did you see that when he came on the scene or would, did it take you a bit of a while to kind of get what he was on about? It took me a minute. I'm not going to lie, because I originally thought just because he had sort of he's flirted with presidential runs in uh-huh. the past. And so I thought it was sort of a brand thing, kind of just getting his name out there and just sort of for fun, really, when he first right. announced. I think a lot of people thought that as well, admittedly. Um, and it really wasn't until after Iowa Mm-hmm. And then New Hampshire. And then you start realizing this guy's for real and he actually has a really solid shot of winning. Yeah. And so, yeah, it took me a while to realize that this thing was for real. And also the fact that, you know, what I thought was so interesting is that he saw the field in a completely different way than any other politician was able to, to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as someone who's worked in politics, I, I thought that was really like there's a there's a political genius to him that a lot of people don't give him credit for. I think that's right. I think that's one of the reasons why he gets so frustrated with all the Russia talk and all this kind of stuff because it takes away from the fact that actually what he accomplished was kind of amazing, just objectively. Well, and I think that's also why um, on the campaign, or not even, you know, the campaign trial after he won, when he went out and did all these rallies, he spent so much time talking about his victory because no one else would give him credit for it. So he's like demanding, you will pay attention to this. This is how I won. (laughs) But it is is actually phenomenal. So let's just, I mean, you you mentioned there that you worked in politics. I mean, is that, do you consider that to be your profession? Have you been doing that for a long time? You know, what's the yeah, background so, there? Yeah, so, um, so my dad worked on Capitol Hill for uh-huh. almost 11 years before he went to law school. And so I kind of grew up just sort of always interested in, in politics. In You grew up in D.C.? I, I grew okay. up in, yeah, Fairfax County, Northern Virginia area. Okay. And so I was always just interested in politics, interested in things going on. Mm-hmm. So we always used to talk about politics. And I used to play a lot of sports growing up as well and did yeah. some travel sports. My dad and I spent a lot of time on the road together. And so we just spent a lot of time talking about politics and so I think that's kind of where, and I'm sort of a daddy's girl as well. My dad right. and I are very, very close. And so I think I kind of just always admired him huh. um, and always enjoyed our conversations. And that's kind of like what set it's, me on that and path. did he steer you in that direction or you just picked it up and loved it? And no, that's you know, my parents were always kind of the parents that, um, you know, whatever you want to do, right? Mm-hmm. Like very, oh, I mean, within reason, right? Let's yeah. not get too crazy. <laughs> But they're always very supportive of us in uh, mm-hmm. bolstering our dreams and standing behind us and kind of letting us figure out ourselves. And so, no, my parents didn't really put us in any certain path um, in that uh-huh. way. It was just something that was always interesting to me. Yeah. No, it's interesting because that really kind of strikes a chord with me because my eldest son is, is really getting more and more interested in, in politics. And we do talk about it a lot. And I always try to be really careful and not kind of and really kind of impartial and say well this is my opinion but other people may have a different view you know we talk about all of that um and i certainly don't think of it as kind of 
pushing him to do anything in particular. Right. But it's interesting to hear you say that that was the thing that the spark that got you interested. Well, I think too, when you admire someone, which, you know, your son does you and my dad and me, you know, when you admire someone, um, you know, I, I think something that whatever that person, yeah. like I hold my dad in very high esteem and I think he's one of the smartest people I've ever met in my entire life. And so I very much respect him. We're a little bit different though. Cause my dad was always very focused on the policy side of things. I was going to ask you, what did he do on the Hill? What was so, um, he worked for, um, he was on the appropriations committee. Wow. Um, so he did, that was kind of his beat was the appropriations process. But sorry, um, was he a, was he a member of Congress? No, no, no. He no, worked he... for a Senator from Oregon. Right. Um, so okay. he's part of the uh-huh. appropriation staff and that was sort of his policy issue in policy arena, particularly in health and transportation. Wow. Um, but that's real detail, isn't it? The appropriations. Yes. Like, that's like, if you talk to them, I mean, they, they kind of run the show really, don't they? Yeah. And my, I mean, my dad is so smart. He's so nuanced in this stuff. I, it's so funny because yeah. I went to a speaking engagement that um, he spoke at when I was younger and he was telling all these transportation jokes <laughs> and I had, I had no idea what he was talking about. And this woman turns to me and she goes, oh my gosh, your dad is so funny. And I was like, ah, you know, <laughs> like, I love my dad. He's like one of the greatest guys I've, you know, I've ever, he's That's just... a short book, Transportation Humor. Yeah, like... yeah, it's not, it's like a very specific, um, and my dad, my dad does have a great sense of humor and he's one of right. the nicest people you ever meet in your entire life. But like, I wouldn't say that he okay. is a comedic, he's not a comic, right? But so... to a certain crowd, it's very funny and yes. that's great. You know, but it was like, it was the own. first time I saw people laugh like that for my dad. That's so <laughs> funny. So what, so did you, like that, so you're talking about quite young when you're traveling and doing the what when you say travel sports what's what does that mean um so i played field hockey and lacrosse or i actually i played um lacrosse field hockey later in life so we well when do we travel that was actually high school so now my dad and i travel together Uh when i played um field hockey it's called futures it's an olympic development program so it's kind of a used to be uh you have to be a pretty good athlete right. to get not to you know brag. Well, you try to be modest, but well, you know you're obviously pretty good. So at it's it. it's for yeah, yeah it's it's for uh, more competitive mm-hmm. uh, d- people from different high schools, and you try out, you make a team, and then you go and travel and play people from mm-hmm. across the country. And it, you know, it's a really it, I really enjoyed it. I love playing sports growing up. I'm, I'm a competitive person by nature, uh-huh. um, and so I really enjoyed that. So my dad was always the one to travel right. with me. So that so it's quite young. And then when did you kind of take a step in the direction of like choosing politics as, as something to pursue. So it was when I graduated college. Uh-huh. So I, I was trying to figure out, you know, what, what I wanted to do, do at college. What was your, I was a political science major. Okay. Well you already, okay. That, <laughs> yeah. You'd already taken one step before That's that. true. That's true. Yeah. But, and you know, it's funny. A lot of people told me it was a bogus degree and yeah. it's not going to get me anywhere. And ironically, you know, here I am. Go? And, um, I went to university of Tennessee. Uh-huh. So, uh, you know, public school and uh-huh. I, I very much enjoyed it. It was, the people in Tennessee are amazing, and yeah. it was a really cool experience. But so I, I decided I wanted to work on Capitol Hill upon graduation. Uh-huh. And so I went to go work for a freshman member of Congress. I was a staff assistant. And how was that? Was that an easy kind of world to navigate because you kind of seen a bit of it? Or even for you, was it quite complicated? Um, You know, I did obviously have the benefit of my dad having been there. So mm-hmm. he gave me some really great advice and was sort of kind of able to fill me in on what to expect. Mm-hmm. So when I started, I was a staff assistant, which is outside of an intern, you were the lowest person on a totem pole, right? So you're making sure there's enough toner in the (laughs) printer and, you know, keeping track of all the supplies and, you know, really answering phones and things like that. And I used to joke around that I was saving the world one flag request at a time because on Capitol Hill, members of Congress, you get flag requests and Uh you take care of that. 
Um, and what it's is when, a flag request? So they, they um, fly a flag and then take it down and then you... I mean, the actual flag. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, not so, code for something else. No, it's just a, oh a little God. flag. And so right. you can order different sizes and constituents uh, send money in for the flag. And then it's officially flown. And then you can give it to someone as a present. Like I gave one to my grandfather. Wow. Who had served in World War II um, in honor of him and his service. And it was something that he was very touched by. But so I used to joke that I was saving the world one flag request at a time. Um, but you wow. learn a lot because I, I honestly think it's really good in life to have those grunt work jobs. Totally agree. I mean, that's how I started. That's exactly what um, basically this really rings about. I mean, that, yeah. back in the UK, you know, I did all these terrible jobs to earn money in between my college vacations. You know, literally, you know, washing up, all the kind of things that you put, you know, just to, you know, make some money. And then finally I just had enough and the final uh the final summer so uh, just before leaving so between my second and third we have three years yeah degrees in, in the UK so between the second and third year I thought I can't do this again these terrible boring jobs so I literally wrote a letter without any kind of you know understanding of how it all worked to yeah the, to the conservative party headquarters in London and found myself in the end after the interview process getting a job there for the summer very cool very similar you know you're doing all that kind of stuff but it's exciting because you're right in the heart of power you're there you know, I was delivering, Margaret Thatcher was Prime Minister, I was like delivering things. To That's awesome. 10 Downing Street and helping put together her, her weekend read. you know what I mean? Packets of reading for her. And you think, wow, this is really cool. Even though it is the toner and these terrible things, it's like, right. it's in an environment that's exciting. Well, yeah, I just think it's every, you know, it's good for people to pay their dues, right? Yeah, and, totally. And, and I, you know, it teaches you a lot. And the pay is not great either. I mean, yeah. I was making $23,000 my first job, so... Um, that also is a humbling and teachable of experience course. as well. Because, uh, you know, you go to college, you graduate, and you think you're going to get this high-paying job. And, it, and maybe if I went into another industry, I probably could have made more. Yeah. Um, but I was really interested in politics, so it was worth it. And I'm so mm-hmm. glad I did because that's ultimately, you know, few jobs later and you know fast forward years and I'm assuming here I, way, am. I, haven't, I haven't asked you but I mean was it a conservative member uh, Republican yeah member yeah I've always worked for Republicans and had you always felt on the conservative side of things does that word resonate with I you? did I mean I grew up in a conservative home right. so both my parents were Republicans I mean they're different on the spectrum you yeah. know like my dad's probably more of a moderate Republican my mom's uh-huh. very very conservative um I'm probably in between the two of them right yeah. so um but yeah so I, I always grew up Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in kind of and a. Did you have any kind of moment of, of rebellion for a bit, and then came back to the fold, or anything like that? Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, maybe, maybe a little bit, but not. You know, I've kind of always. You know, I think in some respects, like I'm a very independent person, mm-hmm. and so I think I've always kind of had this mentality of get off my lawn a little bit. Right. <laughs> like you know. Oh, that's and, interesting. Yeah. Not, just generally about life. Yeah, just sort of. You know, I can I can do it, right? I can do it on my own. I don't, and so yeah, I, I think sort yeah. of that's kind of like seeps into this rejection of like the government yes, and totally. sort of that's get off how, my that's back. Real, can that's how I feel about it. Yeah, yeah, and and I just think that people are sort of better off striving on their own, right? Yeah. And so um, I think some of that just sort of innately in mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. It has also sort of shaped the that's that political really belief makes as sense well. To me. That, that I feel that that kind of hatred of, of authoritarianism. Even the might, obviously, you know, like with an authoritarian regime, like I don't know, you saw in the under communist, you know, my family background is Hungarian, so you see that there. But just, just being bossed around, just being told what to do for arbitrary reasons, that's the thing that drives me well, crazy. Or even just bureaucracy. Bureaucracy, right? exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's like totally the thing that drives me crazy. Well, I always question it. Well, and ironically, so this is why I've always, so I've done both Capitol Hill and worked yeah. for a few different members of Congress, and then I've also worked in the campaign world as mm-hmm. well and in, in politics. And the reason why I think I've always enjoyed politics more than Capitol Hill 
is there is so there's a lot of bureaucracy on Capitol Hill. Yeah. And there's a lot of you know process involved and on campaigns, which you're aware of as well, having worked in politics for so long. It, it's a lot faster paced yes. and there's not as much bureaucracy because there's not enough time for bureaucracy. Yes. There's not enough, there's not so many people. There's not so much money as tied up in, in the sort of government and so on. It's more like a startup. Yeah. And, and you're a big corporate enterprise. Well, it? and I've had bosses on the campaign trail who I've gone to ask, you know, what should we do here? And their response is, well, what do you think? There was a reason right. I hired you, you know, go do Great. your job. Right. And you're kind of like, oh, that's brilliant. Right. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. but, you know, on Capitol Hill, it's a little bit more bureaucratic. Um, totally. And so, so did I, you make the jump like quite soon? When when did you? How did that? So I kind of bounced around between official and campaign, uh-huh. and then back again. So I started out as a staff assistant. So that's as I mentioned, kind of low totem mm-hmm. pole, right? Like paying your dues. And then I went over to the NRCC, which is the National Republican oh, yeah. Congressional Committee. That was during the 2010 election cycle, uh-huh. which is it really sets you up for failure because we picked up, I think it was 63 seats that cycle oh, yes, for Republicans. That was a Tea Party moment, wasn't that it? That was a Tea yeah. Party moment. And so you're like, oh man, this is great, right? And <laughs> then you lose later and you're like, you know, it's not as easy. But um, so huge election cycle. I worked in the communications team there. That was really awesome. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I went to go be a communications director, which you're the head of the comms department for mm-hmm. a uh, another member of Congress on mm-hmm. Capitol Hill. Um, then left and worked on her primary race. We lost, which was devastating because i just loved this sandy adams uh-huh. um she's a tea party member from florida she was just uh-huh. i awesome like there's she was just one of those politicians that was there for the right reasons really loved mm-hmm. this country she was a former police officer i just we were really close so that was devastating mm-hmm. to lose that race uh just because i really believed how in many her. have you done before so that yeah. was well i done the you nrcc, the NRCC all of them together so right was that the first one where you were with the candidate yep that was Got my it. first okay. one and i had also been working as her communications director mm-hmm. so we were already close so then went off and did her primary race mm-hmm. we lost and then i went over to a senate race out of wisconsin uh, for tommy thompson who's oh, a yes. former governor former hhs secretary yeah and a little bit different a little bit more moderate so d- definitely different on the political spectrum yeah. than uh, Sandy Adams, and it was one of the top tier Senate races. I was his communications director, mm-hmm. and that's actually ironically the first play at time I did TV, which okay. ha- kind of led me to where for I him, am now for his campaign. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I had never done TV before, and my boss, my campaign manager, called me into the office, and he told me you're doing spin room after the debate, and okay. you know what spin room is. Yeah, you yeah, go yeah. out there after debate for the folks at home who don't know. You go out there after the debate and you basically give your version mm-hmm. of how the night went for your boss. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. you know, my boss is better for all these different reasons. The other candidate sucks. Right. It's so like that yeah. kind of thing. And um, I, I told him I've never done TV. This is terrifying. I don't want to do this. <laughs> I'm really having I'm freaking out. And he told me, no, it's not a question. It's a directive. You're doing this. So we went out and, you know, furiously took notes during yeah. the debate, went out and just loved it. And oh, the, that's great. So the, immediately took to it. I really, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And the Wisconsin yeah. press corps is brutal. I mean, they're, they very much lean to the left. Mm-hmm. And so we got a lot of tough questions. And I just found it to be so fun to have to think so quickly on your feet and yeah. sort of face the incoming fire and have to respond to it. And so yeah. I really just, and so there's that moment where I told myself in the future, I'd like to work in television. Oh, that's interesting. So when would that have been? This was the 2012 election cycle. Yeah. So then you went back and did more? I went back to Capitol Hill uh-huh. after that. So like bouncing around. So yeah. went back to Capitol Hill, worked for um, Mark Meadows. Okay. Um, who's a great guy. Worked for him for a little bit and then bounced over to Shelley Mercapito. Okay. And then after that, um, I went into the private sector for a PR firm. Uh-huh. And we were part of the general consulting team for Dan Sullivan, 
okay. who's current U.S. senator from Alaska, and that was a lot of fun. And then it was sort of during that when I was working at the PR firm where I started picking up doing mm-hmm. more and more television opportunities. Mm-hmm. And is that your focus now? Television? Yeah. Yep. And so the thing I wanted to ask you, like a lot, a lot of those years, you were right there in the swamp, right in DC. You're like, right. And I just, just tell us what that is like. I know that we we kind of talk about it the whole time, but what does that feel like to be right in the thick of it? You know, in a political operative right there. Well, I find Congress. I mean, I've been fortunate to, in all honesty, to work some for some really great politicians who I think really honestly do care about mm-hmm. making a difference, and so I've been blessed in that regard. But I, I do just think Congress. It's tough because, as I mentioned, there's a bureaucracy and you do so much work and it, it, you know, less than likely, as I stumble for my words, is any of that work going to pay off Uh in the sense of legislation actually being passed? Yeah. And so it's sort of very frustrating because you do a lot of work to really know. do you know that at the time or do you have this kind of hope that this time it'll be different? Well, you start off very optimistic and then you start to kind of really uh, realize how things operate and that it's much more difficult to move Uh legislation. I I think that's also why I enjoy the political side of things in campaigns Mm -hmm. is there's a tangible result, an outcome that's going to. there's an end point. There's an end point. That's right. You win or lose. Um, whereas in Congress, you can do all this work introducing mm-hmm. legislation and inevitably it goes nowhere. And did you, I mean, wh- when you were there doing that, did you have kind of friendships across the political divide or did, would, did, I mean, we hear all the time about how polarized it is. Is it like that on a human level? No, I mean, in all honesty, a lot of the members of Congress, even the most conservative and most liberal, um, you know, Sand, one of Sandy's best friends, uh, was Frederica Wilson. And they were very open about their friendship. And so a lot of people, because they had known each other, I believe, from the state legislature. So Mm -hmm. a lot of members of Congress are, I mean, it's very similar to all of our lives, right? Like I'm very close with some of the Democrats that I go on with at Fox and we don't always agree. Well, you you see this written quite a lot, which is that that used to be more the case than now. And particularly since 2016, also it's spoken about in, in the UK with respect to Brexit. Right. That that really, something happened in 2016 that really pushed people apart in in ways that you haven't seen before and you know friends of you know many years standing not talking to each other family members not talking do you recognize that or has that not really been true for you i will so i don't know so it's hard for me to gauge because i also think having moved to new york because mm-hmm. i for those at home i recently moved to new york a little bit right. over a year ago and um, that has been a big change in the sense of when you're in Washington, D.C., you're accustomed to being around people with different political viewpoints, Yes. particularly yes. having worked on Capitol Hill. Yeah. Whereas in New York, the majority of the people there all skew to the left. Right. So when they meet you and they find out you're a conservative, the reaction is something I've just never experienced before in my life. It's crazy. Tell us, like what? What kind of things have you... Well, so I had these two ladies at the dog park who... <laughs> so I have a dog and okay. they used to love me. And then they found out that I was a conservative and, you know, they started treating me a little bit different. And then uh-huh. one of the ladies, every time I see her, she just brings up something political and is constantly kind of trying to get me to yeah. talk about things. And I, I'm just... I'm at the dog park. I just... Yeah. I don't want to... I don't want to talk about guns. I don't want to... I just want right. to... I just want to enjoy my dog and hopefully some sunshine it is it is interesting there's definitely i find, i'm similar you know i live, live in silicon valley we're surrounded by people who, who really think that 
everything that's happened is this sort of total calamity and Trump is the worst thing in the world, Brexit is the worst thing in the world. Right. You know? And it's just, it, I mean, we've got to the point where we just try and avoid talking about it because it's just like, what it does, you're not ever going to persuade anyone. Everyone seems very entrenched in their views. So just, you know, get on with your life. But don't you think that it demonstrates a bigger problem that's going on right now? Because if people's lives are that affected... Yes, by is, I've heard you make this point on it. You're so right. That, that scares Sorry, me. I jumped in because no, I know no, what no, you're going to say. But you know what I mean? Like, I've heard you say it's yeah, too much. Politics is too dominant in, in people's lives. I, I think that's sort yes. of... Uh, that's disappointing. And I think maybe yes. that should be... a. Re- reflection point for Americans is to realize that maybe we should focus on more community-based stuff Mm -hmm. or other maybe church or or whatever it is and have other things that dominate our life because if politics is the driving point of your life and affects your life to that degree I think that speaks more of that person it kind of makes me sad for them to be honest but also it's the the, the nature of the politics I love the, the way I so agree with what you said about the community aspect because to me that's like one of the most important things of what I think of as positive populism. And when I think about what that means to me, my, the sort of agenda that, that I see that rep being representative of in terms of policy, the decentralization of power is is really this, the, the, the number one thing. Because it feels to me like if there's so many decisions are just now made, you know, further and further away from people, and politics is all kind of nationalized, and it's all Trump and, the, you know, AOC and what right. And actually, at the human level, at the local level, People just want to make sure that their neighborhood works and the school, you know what I mean? And if, if, if they had more power and control, you're more likely to get that civility. I think. Well, and I think at large, we as a country are more supportive of each other than sometimes we recognize. Because anytime you see a time of need, like we saw with Hurricane Harvey and some of these terrible uh, hurricanes we saw, I believe it was last year or the year prior, people come together, together, yes. right? And people help each other regardless of race, regardless of religion, regardless of gender. They just they come together as Americans. And so we often see in times of tragedy that happens. But I, I think one of the most interesting times of my life, I went to Africa a mm-hmm. couple of years ago to Rwanda and Tanzania. Mm-hmm. And as part of this trip that I went on, we met, we went to some of these villages. Yep. And one thing that struck me is just how community-based yes. people are there. And if one person falls sick in the village, everyone comes together to support that family, to feed that family. And even some of these partnerships that we do um, here in the United States with countries like Rwanda and a lot of these private businesses as well that help uh, teach people to farm and things of that nature, they then teach that skill to everyone else in the village. And then the entire village is in farming more efficiently. And it made me sort of sad because I was thinking about here in the United States, you know, do you even know your neighbor, particularly in a city like New York? And if your neighbor was ill, would anyone come to their rescue if they didn't have anyone else there? And that sort of made me sad because even though we have so much here in the United States in terms of things and wealth and things of that nature, um, we're really lacking, I think, in that that community element. I think that's so powerful what you just said. And I think that actually there is a political policy dimension to that. It isn't just kind of one of those things like the weather, well, that's just the way the world is going, we can't do anything about it. I think that we've taken away reasons for people to come together at the local level, like through policy decisions that have taken power away. So you no longer get together to figure out how you run the local neighborhood or whatever, because it's all decided miles away. Right, and I think when the- And the the same with, yeah, and, and 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 the decline of church, you know, there's all these things that have, in practical ways, stopped the need for people to meet. Well, and maybe perhaps a reason why people are so uh, crazy about what happens in politics is maybe the government's just too involved in our lives. Yeah. 
and, and and I think that's also we would maybe have more strong stronger communities if the government was more decentralized and out of our business and wasn't determining what we do on a day-to-day basis yes, to such I a degree. Yes, agree. And then the other aspect is the, is the technology aspect where it just makes it so easy for people to sort of scream and yell into the kind of ether because they're not face-to-face with the person that they're in, you know, they're, they're screaming at. You never behave like that in real life. Well, I hope not. Most people Right. Don't. Well, and I also think, and this is just my own theory with uh, sort of social media, and obviously I use it because we work in television, and it's kind of part of the business a little bit. But I I do think that also has had an impact on communities and the lack of communities as well, because everything is online, everything is inward-facing versus outwardly facing. And if you're online, you're in your own kind of little world, you're not interacting with people to a degree people did back in the day before social media, where it was on a person-to-person human Mm -hmm. basis. And as you mentioned, you're much less inclined to say something nasty to someone if you have an opportunity to actually talk to that person, meet the person, than if they're just some little avatar on Twitter Yes. and you've never met that person in your entire life. Yeah, and I so think I, it's very powerful. I mean, I, it's one of those things that gets discussed a lot, but I, I, I think the role, you know, and often the conversation goes, well, you know, it's just a reflection of who we are, right? The tech, you know, the, the technology and uh, it's not creating this. Is just reflecting but I don't know about that I think it's kind of it's an incentive to, for people to to put the worst of themselves out there well I also just think with um, it, it, I think it also has an impact on relationships as yeah. well because if you look at the fact of everything's so instantaneous and everything's at your fingertips uh, I think that sort of erodes ability to work on relationships even in dating and things of that nature if everything's just right there at your fingertips you can just find someone else and you know keep scrolling okay. or whatever there's less of an incentive to actually get to know someone and kind of have that personal relationship with someone so i, I think it's kind of led to an erosion in relationships yeah in a much larger degree than i think i think this is all really important i mean i've, I've been very kind of aggressive in the kind of things that I've said about technology for, for quite a few years now. I mean, you're know, going back to my book, More Human, whenever that was, 2015, where I said, for example, that, you know, we should, and now more people are talking about this, but, you know, I, when I said it, people thought I was completely insane. Right. Which is that children, for example, shouldn't be allowed smartphones, just like we ban children under 16 from smoking or, or using alcohol or whatever. You know, the same, this technology is really having these and it's not just children obviously but that's like one area where i thought we might be able to get some agreement well i think the more more i think about it the more we've got to really be open to aggressive restrictions on all of this well and to your point i mean you look at the fact that there's been a lot written about people like steve jobs and these tech giants who really limited the exposure their kids had to the products that they created yeah and i think that's telling as well exactly right there exactly and and um I, I completely agree. Well, how interesting that we've ended up yeah. at technology. Well, there you are. I, but it shows it's really important. I, just, I have one last question. I was just really interested in your, in in the. I mean, is there anything about Washington D.C. and the swamp that you miss being in New York? Um, you know, I kind of actually prefer what I'm doing now in the right. sense that I kind of more objectively, because obviously when you're in something, it's harder to objectively see it as opposed to when you're outside of the yeah, system, yeah. right? And so. I kind of enjoy what I do now because we're students every day and we're working in politics, we're working in policy and we're constantly having to learn and be paying attention to what's going on. And so I love that about what I do at Fox is every day you're learning, you're paying attention to what's going on and I can kind of more objectively see Washington DC um, and look at it from a more critical lens than, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when you're there and you're in the thick of things. Um, And 
you know, it, it, it's tough because I, I think part of the reason why, you know, Trump resonated as well is there is sort of this disconnect with mm-hmm. Washington, D.C. and the things that he says about it and the criticisms, they resonated because a lot of it's true. Yes, exactly. Well, all I can say is we're very happy that you're here now. Um, Thank and you. Everyone can get to meet you and I'm really really excited to have this chance to talk to you a little bit more about um, the story of how you got here so thank you so much thanks Lisa Steve Booth. and for the folks at home Steve is the nicest guy and has always been so oh. supportive so I always enjoy our conversations so thanks this is so very much. cool thanks, thanks for having me the Fox News Rundown a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else your daily dose of news twice a day featuring insight from top newsmakers reporters and Fox News contributors listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com